Yes, yes, yes. What is up? What is up? General Strike Podcast family. We're back. Part two of this debate. Jerry wanted some more smoke, so we're here. No, in reality, we just didn't finish all the questions we had out. So we're back here. We're trying to finish all of the 10 questions. It's not really 10 questions. It was eight. But it's... it's but it's ten's better for the algorithm. Yeah. 100%. And let's be honest, Gary. You asked like five follow-up questions alone in the last video. So... It probably equals 20 questions, which I originally had the idea for. Right. I mean, I asked one question in six parts. I, I get it. Um, definitely go check out that last debate. It was really good. Um, I, th- I think we had a really good discussion on the idea of religious freedom uh, under socialist countries. Um, it, that was yeah. the bulk of it, right? Like it was an hour and a half. Probably at least half of the time was spent to that. Yeah. Yeah. When I clipped up the debate which you can watch individual you know segments of it obviously on our youtube page trending now network um i think the religious freedom part was like 45 48 minutes and that that was the biggest clip we made out of the show so yes it 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 was um definitely a a large part of it you know and it we tail end into like the weaker genocide myth is you know what we would call it um and different aspects of this is not my channel so i didn't call it a myth youtube i didn't say nothing no no, that was i said nothing this is not my channel (laughs) allegedly i guess (laughs) um but the you know and dovetailing into the idea of like u.s propaganda western propaganda how much they fudge the numbers on these things and you know quote unquote communist atrocities um but i feel like these next questions much more theoretical much more even laid back in a sense than those heavier questions, but I'm very excited for this one. Um, Gary, I mean, obviously Frank in the chat. Shout out to you, Frank, over on Twitch. Same part two, let's go. Salute from Tennessee, I believe that is. Trending news. Oh, and on network. Ah, uh, Gary, look at you, man. That's why I have you. That's why I have you as a buddy. I have a genius IQ. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's just, just get into it, right? Next question up. Question technically number five. You want to go, Gary? You want to rattle it off? All right. Uh, In a free market society, the individual is supreme. The individual can decide what's best for him and form voluntary associations like unions. I know that one's going to stick in Matt's crux. That's the crux of it. In a communist society, the uh, benefit of the collective, the commune, is supreme. How are individual rights protected? Um, well, obviously, um, one, trade unions have always been antithetical to free market capitalism. Um, if you're truly a free market, then the ability to purchase labor won't be constricted by outside market forces because a union is an outside market force. Um, it's the idea of labor having solidarity and organizing in contention with capital. So that is actually unions are antithetical. That's why we've seen. In recent time, guys like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and others really, like Howard Schultz, obviously, as well, um, really cracked down on unionization efforts. I mean, to put in combat sports, you know, for something that we know, Gary, Dana White and the UFC have cracked down on any sort of unionization efforts within their company, Um, even going as far as using connections they have with the Trump administration and the National uh, Labor Relations Board to sort of shut down their attempt to uh, certify as employees, 
which was the first step for unionization for UFC fighters. Um, so I, I it's one of those questions again, Gary, where I kind of reject the, you know, the basis of it, the framing of it, so to speak. And obviously we have this reality, this material history we have where the beginning of capital, the beginning of capitalism, when we had more of a, even though there was monopolies, it was not monopolistic in the sense that we have it now, right? Um, you know, the, the idea of like cottage industries, which is much more of a common thing. Uh, and let's say from the 1500s all the way to, even to the 1800s, um, you know, capital really didn't hit its monopoly stage until the late 1800s, if we're being quite honest. But digressing, the 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 genesis of capitalism coincided with the wholesale commodification of the labor power of people, which was chattel slavery. So the idea of capitalism being, what's the term, um, benevolent towards labor solidarity, which is what unions are, is not true because throughout history, it's been the exact opposite. And when we've seen the market be completely unleashed upon human labor, when humans have been fully commodified, um, we've seen that turn into chattel and transatlantic slavery. Um, you know, the the royal, uh, what's it called? But the, the, the royal trading company, I, I might be in the name wrong, but the, the British Empire's um, trade on human lives and human people um, was obviously a capitalist venture, and it was started by the the King of England. I think it was King Charles the might be the wrong King Charles, but King Charles the Second, I believe it was. Um, so again, this idea that capitalism, capital, is friendly to labor is just not true because capital needs to bully labor into submission. It needs to use labor as a commodity. And when human beings don't want to be commodified, then that is an inherent class struggle there. Um, again, this is why every capitalist society, unionization has been pushed in spite of the ruling political and economic class, the bourgeoisie. Um, I do want to also talk about the idea of the individual versus the collective and those things, but um, I don't know if... Oh, can we stop there? Because yeah, yeah, obviously that's... I disagree with everything you just said, clearly. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. First, on the title of slavery. See, and, and this is like, – I want, I want to go back. Well, first we'll go back to like the unions. Just because there are people who don't like unions, right, like like capital bosses, right, like CEOs that don't like – But those are the capitalists. They don't have to like it. That doesn't mean like, – there are unions I don't like. I don't like the police union. I don't like teachers' unions. You're entitled to have it. Like I can't stop you from voluntarily forming a union and hiring someone to negotiate what's in the best interest of you. Right? Like If me and you make widgets and five other people make widgets and we make a good widget, right? That's what we do. We're widget making. What's a widget? doesn't matter, right? But we make a good widget that there's demand for it in the market. What I don't do is negotiate contracts. That's not what I do. I make widgets. I don't do that. So if we pool our money together and say, let's hire someone to negotiate on our behalf, 
Now we've unionized and now we're paying someone to look out for our best interest because I don't negotiate contracts. That's not what I do. I'm a widget maker and I make a dang good widget, which is why I'm, that's why we're working. Right. So to say that unions, yes, is, is, I would not call Jeff Bezos because we don't have capitalism in America. Jeff Bezos pays no taxes, but gets trillions. I don't know about trillions, billions. What, 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 what part of capitalism? What part of the definition of capitalism states that capitalists must pay taxes? I, they, they, they shouldn't. But in a, okay, this is why I like to use the word free market, right? Because now we're getting into like, the assumption that what we do in America is capitalism. I would say that it's not even close to capitalism. It's not, it's not even a bad example of capitalism. It has nothing to do with capitalism. It's a completely separate thing. It has nothing to do with the idea of – so lazy, fair economics – Free markets. I like those words. I don't. You don't really hear me for this. For the sake of this conversation, I'll use the word capitalism. So everyone knows what we're talking about, but you, you don't really hear me use that. I, I use the word lazy, fair capital, lazy, fair economics, and, and free market economics. I don't really use the word capitalism because of what you just said, right? Like what we have, America is capitalism. No, it's not, right? But that's the association everyone draws. This is what it is, Gary. Like you, you have this utopian idea of what capitalism, the free market, is, but. Like you said, that's never existed. The capitalism that has existed, that does exist, is like the U.S. system, is like the U.K. system, is like the German system. I mean, we can only deal with what's in front of us, right, Gary? And like Ross Publica says, if we do not live under capitalism, then what economic system do we live under? It's not feudalism. That's a great question. Um, um, cronyism, I would say. I would call it cronyism. I would call it cronyism. But that's just your. You, well, the question was asked to me, right? Like, but, but, me. That, but that's you calling it decaying capitalism, in a sense, right? Like, that's not really you saying it's a separate economic system than capitalism. It's, it's just you saying it's a um, mutated version of capitalism, right? That like, it's a different. Now that it, it's mutated so much, it's it's a different species. It's 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 mutated well, at a macro level to where what, it's not what it, it's it's you, a different species entirely. Can you define capitalism and then cronyism? Then we could call. We might, we might want to call it fascism too. We can get into that. Like I, we may agree on that fundamentally. But fascism um, is also capitalism and decay too. <laughs> Is capitalism in crisis? The, the fascistos were, were were capitalists. Yeah, not really. They were not really. Like I mean, they one hundred percent were. I mean, if uh, the reality is that Italian fascism, the birth of fascism, is was directly funded by Italian capitalists. It was directly used as the backstop against labor power. That's why the black shirts were sent in against labor unions and such. Um, they weren't there to support unions. They were there used by the capitalists within Italy and other foreign capitalists to go after sh strikers. Um, and on top of it, Gary, like there's a great book. Um, I'll, I'll try to pull it up. In a free market, the, strikers are allowed to strike. They're not allowed to destroy property I, I, that doesn't belong I, to them, I, but I, they can strike. I, again, that's when we, we start getting to the, this utopian dreamland we have that you have about capitalism. I'm talking about what is in front of us, the material reality and history we have. Well, I wouldn't advocate for any of those. Like I said, I, I, and that was like part of my first or second question as a libertarian. I, 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 I wouldn't advocate for any of those. 
I understand, Gary, but I'm not arguing against you, your utopian dream. I'm arguing against the material conditions and reality that we face. Because that's all we have. Utopian dream. Okay. That's kind of poisoning the well. We, we could just say economic philosophy. Well, it's economic philosophy that has never existed and at this point does not exist. Right? That I'm aware of. I mean, if there is, if there's, you know, there was a little country called Liberville. It was like a population of six. I mean, they, they claim, I mean, no, not to any scale. That I, not that I know. I, I would say, no, there's never been a, a, a free market libertarian society that I'm aware of. If, if I'm wrong, someone please correct me. So that's, that's what I'm talking about, Gary. Like, for example, you're not arguing against what, let's say, utopian socialists and communists were talking about in the early 1800s. Your argument or your, the debate here, centered against the re the real socialist states that do and have existed the ussr cuba vietnam etc right so i take on all the weight of the dirty reality of history the negatives and the positives you are rejecting the real material reality and only accepting i'm i'm sorry to use the word utopian but utopian or um non-material economic system that is not present in our human civilization that's why i opened up with those two intake questions like is there i mean and it doesn't have to be perfect but i'm saying is there a, a a a communist society that you not that it's perfect but you say this is a good model to follow and that's why like that's why i opened up because i don't want to put words in your mouth i don't want to make you defend so, things that you don't actually think are true right so is there no capitalist policies or capitalist countries throughout history that you said that they, there's been successes and, and mistakes there are policies free trade policies immigration like i think the immigration policy of the u.s up until the 19 1980s was pretty good it was pretty good it's a, it's a free market immigration policy I, I think there are countries that have good free trade policies right but as a whole is there one that like that connects most of those things like that i would say that's a good system that we should no there's not not, not that i not that i know of i mean i want to get back to the question i had um I just want one last note on that. I mean, the U.S. system from, let's say, um, the 1930s to the 19, late 70s, it's really the late 1970s, the end of the Jimmy Carter administration, which was when the neoliberal shock therapy happened, right? Those economic policies that boosted up the working class and the masses of the U.S. were largely social democratic policies, were largely policies that are actually pushed by a united popular front that was actually led by the Communist Party. You know, things like um, unemployment insurance, things like Social Security, things like um, even the, just the rapid rise of unions that we saw. I mean, the U.S. was at one point, I forget the exact statistic, but I believe it was in the high 70s in terms of the amount of workforce that was unionized in our peak. And that was in large part due to a, like I said, a united front that was brought about in the late 1920s and uh, 1930s that was the Communist Party, other other you know labor forces and organizations, the IWW for one, um, the AFL-CIO, ACLU, which was started by Elizabeth uh, uh, Flynn, who was a, a party member as well. Um, so a lot of the the positives of that economic policy or the economic system of the U.S. Um, that was that you know big boost uh, of our country was on the back of social democratic policies. Um, FDR was in large part a social democrat. Um, you know, 
social democracy, like I said in the last debate, is different than socialism and communism, but it has its roots in that second international, um, which was that breaking point between social democrats and socialists and communists. Um, but I want to get back to the question. I just on- want to comment on that real quick because that's just interesting. I, I think you made my argument for me is that you said that American America is a capitalist society. And you say what seventy percent of workers were unionized in a capitalist society? I think you're making my argument for me. Unions, but, but, labor unions, are an Gary, exercise in free markets. But Gary, what's the percentage now? Can I guess? Do you know the answer? Because I want to guess. I don't know the answer. I want to guess though. I know the answer. I'm going to say less than twenty. I'll say eighteen percent. You're very close. I think. Am last, I? Yes, it's like fifteen, sixteen percent. Um, if capitalism was a fertile ground for unionization. It wouldn't have been a decades-long struggle to get to that unionization amount, and then it wouldn't have been quickly decimated in the 1980s in a single decade by Ronald Reagan, where unionization dropped dramatically um, to historic lows. So capitalism is not friendly towards unions, and actually, again, that was a long class struggle to get to that point, Gary. That's my point when I talk about the United Front. Definitely look that up. You could say that that capitalists, right, aren't friendly to it, but it's it, it's it's a necessary and and inevitable part of capitalism. It's right. I like it's like why you elect people to vote for you, right? Like it's why you elect a congressman. It's the same concept. I can't spend all my day negotiating contracts. That's not what I do. I build widgets. Can I build the widgets and I'll pay this guy two percent of my salary, and so will all my coworkers, and he'll negotiate a deal for us because I don't negotiate deals. You're right that it is natural that unions and worker struggles happen under capitalism. That's not because capitalism is a fertile ground. That's because class struggle exists. Class antagonism exists. The fact that a state exists is proof that we have classes. One class as the owning class and other classes that do not own the land, the resource, the means of production, etc. And that struggle creates unions. It's not because capitalism or capitalists like unions. It's because that system is naturally exploitative where the system is designed to extract as much profit, surplus value from labor power, right? That's why labor is now on the market, right? Um, We buy and sell labor, right? For the express purpose of creating surplus value. Right. If you own a McDonald's and you have no one to work it, you're not generating profit. You need people to actually labor in there to get the machines of production moving in order to create commodities, create profit. Right. But that can only be done on the back of laborers of the working class. So you're right that that doesn't uh, unions, in a sense, do naturally occur under capitalism. But it's not because capitalism or capitalists are friendly towards unions. It's because that antagonism exists and that antagonism creates this contradiction, this class struggle that manifests itself as such as working class struggles, as unionization efforts, um, you know, general strikes, stuff like that. Those are manifestations of class struggle, not manifestations of class peace, of class coexistence. Um, And, you know, I feel like the the splitting of hairs between, you know, capitalists don't like unions but capitalism is friendly towards unions that doesn't make sense i'm not Capital- saying friendly i'm saying it's inevitable like it, like everyone has a function in society right like everyone has a job 
not everyone, but most people have a function in society, right? They they perform a test, they do a job. They, it's not it's, you know not everyone is a jack of all trades, right? So if, if my function in this society is to build the widgets, then I'm going to build the widgets. I'm going to let someone else negotiate my contracts, right? Now I work for this corporation that has lawyers on retainer, right? The only way that I can negotiate with them is through hiring someone who negotiates contracts for a living. That's not what I do, right? Like you would say, Major League Baseball is a free market, right? They they have agents, they have unions, they have strikes, they have lockouts. I mean, and, and that's the free market in exercise, right? And they have a pretty strong union. No, it's class struggle in exercise. Unions did not exist in the genesis of baseball. That was decades long of a struggle with the athletes and the workers, right? So again, capitalism on its basis is, is capital versus labor. So you're right that it, it naturally occurs, but the reason why it naturally occurs and your explanation is very different than my explanation. You understand? I I I, I know I understand what you're saying. I don't like you. You would say that like everything is. There's no there's no you can't mutually win, right? Someone wins at at the loss of someone else, right? Yes. And I don't. In terms but, of in terms of this system, yes, because so, there's one group that owns everything and one group that doesn't own everything. So when we talk about democracy, freedom, liberty, that's been relegated to a political field and it's been set up also for us to lose. But we, we have political freedom and democracy, so to speak, right? But we have no economic freedom and democracy. When you go to a workplace, there's no democracy there. There it's it's a pure hierarchical system that is a dictatorship of capital. The boss tells you when to show up, what to dress, when to work. And tells you what you're going to make. And you voluntarily chose to work there. You can voluntarily- oh, no, 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 no. Gary, Gary, I don't voluntarily decide to be born. I'm born into the society that exists. Well, that's and true whether you live in a communist or a capitalist society. That, that's true uh, either way. Uh, y- yes. Yeah. Yes, Gary. Exactly. So okay. I don't choose to live in capitalism. I am born here. I have to deal with it. I don't choose to go sell my labor on the market. That's just the system that exists that I was born into. So it's it's a, it's a lie to say that oh we can just choose it no you can't well, you you do get to choose your I I understand what you're saying right and then like but I live in a society it, it doesn't matter if you work at Wendy's McDonald's Amazon it's naturally exploitative because of the system I've already said because one person owns everything and you do not and you go there work under their machines their production that they own and they extract all the fruits of your labor that you don't keep. That's that's exploitative. You have no say in that system. You you agree to you agree to the compensation. You agreed to it, right? Like so, what what makes yeah. it not forced? You agreed to it. No, you can like if you work for Chevy, you can go work for Chevy, and if Ford offers you something better, you can go it, across it, the street it, and work for did Ford. You not, did you not hear what I just said? I understand what you're saying. That, that I, system I, exists exists at Ford or General Motors or whatever. Like that that exists. If you go work at a car plant in one of those companies. That exists. You get paid a wage and they extract the fruits of your labor no matter what. Maybe you get paid a couple more dollars an hour. Whoopty fucking do. But that system of exploitation, that bedrock of of exploitation exists. That bedrock of resource extraction exists. I don't agree that they're being exploited. But I, 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 just, I fundamentally agree that there is extraction. There's extraction of labor, extraction of profit, extraction of surplus value. So, for example, like the example I gave, right? McDonald's. 
You own McDonald's. If no one's working at that McDonald's, are you generating profit? No, because you're Probably not selling not. burgers. Right. Burgers aren't yeah, I mean, name, unless right? it's a one man shop, but not. Yeah, no. I mean, right. Like, so. But ca- but if you own it, you're not working there. Well, as a, as a kid, right, my grandfather owned a pizzeria. It was a little pizza joint, right? He he worked there 15 hours a day, 16 hours a day. And then eventually he hired someone else. But, like, that's what I mean. Like, so there, there's three people involved, right? There's the the owner who sells a slice of pizza, the person who buys it, and the person who made the pizza. The person who brought, bought the pizza got what he wanted. The owner got what he wanted. And the worker got what he wanted. Everyone got what they wanted. So I don't understand how anyone's being exploited in that situation, right? You walked in hungry. You got a pizza slice of pizza at a price that you agreed on. The owner got the price that he wanted. And Gary, the, can, you, can, you, can you choose not to work right now and have a house, have health care, have food, and survive? Can I? Can anyone in this country? Well, yeah. So, I mean, a, a very small minority of people can. That are rich capitalists that can settle on passive income, passive surplus extraction, right? Which is the last question, which is a really interesting one. So, so again, Gary, the working class, right? Can they do that? Can they just stop working right now and survive? Not generally. Not, not, no. No. So Assuming that they're a prime of life, 40 years old, 30 years old. No. So the reality is there is no choice. You are forced to work to survive. That's a reality. Like I said, you're born in this system. If I don't work, I don't have a house. I don't have food. I starve to death. I go homeless. I get disease that can't be fixed. That's a reality. So this idea of like, it's all voluntary. It's all cool. No, no one's voluntarily born where they're at. No one voluntarily chooses to go work for other people that own stuff. That's just the system that exists. I myself cannot just automatically change that system. That is a collective social system, right? Like if I go out in the woods and I say, you know what? I'm going to print my own money. I'm going to do my own. That's not going to work. Well, you kind of have with crypto. People kind of made their own money. But even that has been proven to be just scam after scam. But so is fiat currency. What, what do you think is more, more corruptive and, and, and more of a scam? Fiat currency or cryptocurrency? I'm not talking about fiat currency. You know that. You know I don't like fiat currency. So we're not getting into that. We're not getting into that because I don't defend it. Well, we can agree on that. <laughs> we can agree on that. Let's get back to the question, Gary, because you had other right. You, you want to get to the next one? I mean, we, no, we, we, no, no, oh, no. Oh, you want to no. stay on this one? Yeah, stay on this one because you talk about the individual versus the it's supreme. Oh, yeah, second part. Of, yeah. Yes, yes. It's the commune um, supreme. Um, Raj Publica also saying crypto uh, was backed by government bonds. But that's true. That's true. That's true, Ross. Um, in terms of um, liberty and stuff of that nature, right? How rights protected. Um, Stalin said, it is difficult for me to imagine what personal liberty is enjoyed by an unemployed person who goes about hungry and cannot find employment. Real liberty can exist only where exploitation has been abolished, where there's no oppression by some, by others, where there's no unemployment and poverty, where a man is not haunted by the fear of being tomorrow deprived of work, of home, and of bread. Only in such a society is real and not paper, personal, and every other liberty possible. Um, to read another uh, Stalin quote, the commune, uh, this isn't the exact quote, the commune is not supreme, it's the collected. I, I want to make that distinction. Because uh, like you hear like hippie communes and people associate that with commune communism, and that's not the same thing. Um, quote by, and this is also from Stalin's work, Anarchism or Socialism, which I highly recommend, Gary. 
Um, quote, the point is that Marxism and anarchism are built up on entirely different principles. In spite of the fact that both come into the arena of struggle under the flag of socialism, the cornerstone of anarchism is the individual whose emancipation, according to its tenets, is the principal condition for the emancipation of the masses, the collective body. According to the tenets of anarchism, the emancipation of the masses is impossible until the individual is emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is everything for the individual. The cornerstone of Marxism, however, is the masses, whose emancipation, according to its tenets, is the principal condition for the emancipation of the individual. That is to say, according to the tenets of Marxism, the emancipation of the individual is impossible until the masses are emancipated. Accordingly, its slogan is everything for the masses. Again, Anarchism Socialism by uh, Joseph Stalin. Other key principles, we you know, talk about um, the idea of the individual being like the key principle of, of anarchism, uh, other key principles of communism, or like I said before in other debates and other parts of the show, the elimination of uh, exploitation and oppression and the support of self-determination for uh, peoples. That's a, another huge part of it. You know, Lenin, Stalin, and others wrote heavily on the idea of self-determination for nations and for people. Um, so that's another key aspect to it. Um, that's my answer to your question on the idea of individual versus the commune or the collective, um, etc. Gary, any other thoughts on that question before we move on? I just have one question, right? So, like you're saying, like everyone has to work, and working is extraction of labor. I, I lived in New York for ten years, and I lived in Brooklyn. I lived on Avenue U. And if anyone knows Avenue U, it's almost at this point like all Russian people who moved over here after the fall of the Soviet Union, right? Like predominantly, and so like they were my age, and their parents lived in Soviet Russia, so you know this or somewhere in the Eastern Bloc, right? Yeah, and they all worked. They all, all of them work. So, like, I don't understand how in a communist society, and I guess that's kind of the last question, you still have to work, right? Like, this, and this is a, a misconception that most American, specifically on the right, they think that in, 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 a, in a communist society, everyone's lazy and doesn't work. It's, that's not the case at all. So, um, I, I don't, I don't, like, you're saying that work is, is, ex- no, 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 no. Work is itself not exploitative. People have worked throughout all of human civilization, you know, from hunter-gatherer societies to now people labor, right? People change nature around them to uh, suit their needs and wants, right? Like that's that's not what the crux is. It's the idea of who owns it and who has a say, right? This idea of, of, of forced extraction of resources and labor power, like that is what we're in this. That's That's the crux of it, right? You know, we're, we, we're going to get into it, obviously, in the last question, especially. Um, but that dynamic is different under a, a, a dictatorship, so to speak, of the working class versus a dictatorship of the capitalist class. Um, that dynamic has flipped a lot on its head. Um, but, we're, you know, we're going to get into that last question, especially, Gary. I know you have more questions there. I think we should. Yeah. I mean, we spent a half hour on this. Let's get to the next question. Next question. Number six, Gary. Go for it, man. All right. Give me one second. Uh, if you can't own property, if there's no private uh, private property, the property is owned, controlled communally, and you are required to work, working without being able to own private property is slavery slash imprisonment. Assuming you aren't okay with enslaving slash imprisoning peaceful people, how do you square that? Again, one of those questions where I reject the framing. But I know what you're trying to get at, Gary. It's okay. Um, 
personal property has existed in practically every socialist society, or I shouldn't say practically, it has existed in every socialist society. Um, the USSR is redis redistribution of land under Lenin and the new economic program, for example. Um, you know, this is one of the things that like Lenin and like the Bolsheviks had to deal with at the time was they redistributed the land and gave land private property, Gary, to the peasants. Um, so that was like a big criticism at the time from like the the Katowski and Bernstein-esque side of the Second International that broken up, um, the Social Democratic wing, right? Um, they're like, that's not real socialism. There's private property, even though their like school of thought also like was like, we should just reform capitalism and it would just be nice for the working class. Um, so this idea that like personal private property does not exist in social societies is also just not true in a sense. Um, there have been times and efforts um, to collectivize property, right? Um, but that it's different than the idea like all private property is now abolished, right? Like the um, I forget the Russian word for it, but it's like Kuletsky or something like that, which is like the collective commune farms of the Soviet Union under Stalin's era, right? Um, that was sort of like encouraged. It was like, hey, if you want to get together with 500 other peasants and have a commune and a collective farm, we will, as the state, we'll give you guys tractors and, and certain machinery, like we'll subsidize it, so to speak. Um, so it was never forced actually. And the only time it was really forced was actually not from the state, I would argue, uh, especially in the USSR stance. When we have the the de uh, effort, and now, long-winded here, I'm going to try to answer as best as I can because it's a lot here, Gary, and you might have questions because it might be confusing. In that new economic program under Lenin, right, that gave private property to the peasants, right, there was an economic class at that time called the Kulaks, Right. And think of them as like plantation farmers, right? like the big farmers or like the agro business farms in like the Midwest. Right. That have hundreds of thousands of acres and they're owned like by Monsanto or something like that. Right, Gary? Like think of that in your mind. Right. These aren't like your peasant with like a hut and like a track of land. It's capitalists in a sense that are still existing in the Soviet Union. Um, and there was an effort. By Stalin to to transfer the land, the materials, the the livestock and such from the kulaks over to the collective farms, and it was voluntary actually from Stalin. But the peasants worked themselves up into sort of such a fever that it created actually a, a, in a sense a civil war in Ukraine, Kazakhstan, and other parts of the Soviet Union where the peasants were now fighting the kulaks and the kulaks went out and murdered like 50 to 80% of their own livestock, burned their own farms in an effort to sabotage, you know, whatever gains the peasants can make. And there's like, there's notes from Stalin saying like, whoa, 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 guys, slow it down here. Peasants, this isn't what I wanted. There's, we're getting into excesses here. And the peasants are just kind of taking over. And it was, again, a more of a bottom-up struggle there from the masses. It wasn't put down on a socialist state where, hey, all the kulaks must be murdered. That didn't happen, even though it's sort of played like that in the West, that, you know, that so the Soviet Union, Stalin especially, you know, murdered kulaks and all that. 
that didn't happen. And there's tons of correspondence from Stalin going out to local officials being like, we got to get this thing under control here. Um, and there was even a time where Stalin sent out 25,000 party members into Ukraine and Kazakhstan to sort of settle, sort of calm down the situation. Um, and a lot of them were ended up being murdered by both peasants and kulaks because the peasants didn't want to stop and the kulaks didn't want to give up their land. Um, so the times that we've seen that like forced collectivization of, of property of land, um, it's been overstated and also just mischaracterized completely by the West. Um, so, so, Gary. Yeah. Cause that, that I, that, that I generally don't understand, right? Like Marxism, the abolition of private property. Yes. We don't have to abolish private property. And so like, answer, I guess that and I, I have, Okay. Answer that first. Yes. So the idea of private property, right? When you think of private property, you think of like your home, right? Like you think of like your car. My home, my business, and my yeah. Okay. The the communists would state that there's a difference between personal and private property. This is my next question. So I'm going to shut up and listen. So, I don't, I don't, I haven't explained, I still don't understand, but I'll, I'll listen. Private property is the commodification of it so to speak right so the idea of like a the idea of like commodifying shelter that like you can't go and like just build your own home or or everyone has a right to home no it's a commodity now you have to buy it in order to get it right that it's now a barrier to access so to speak right um that is where we get into the idea of private property and it also goes with labor right i'm talking about like labor being commodified right like Labor is now private property in a sense of the capitalists, right? Like you don't own your labor. You must go sell your labor to somebody else and then they go own it for a period of time, right? Like that's, that's the deal, right? So the idea of abolishing private property, it's not abolishing homes or personal property, right? Whether you need transportation, uh, home, um, and even since like small businesses exist in Cuba, Vietnam, you know, China, like the idea of like private businesses also do exist in some fashion. Um, you know, there's an excellent work by Mao. It's called um, On State Capitalism. Right. And I know that for a lot of people, like the word state capitalism is very, very confusing. Um, I, th I think it's just one of those things where like, like a bad term, like a, a poorly made term was created and then everyone just stuck to it. Like people could like in 1920, we could maybe thought of a different term for it, but that term stuck and it doesn't mean capitalism. But the idea of this trans transitionary stage where we're going to have some elements of capitalism existing with elements of socialism, um, that 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 is very much in line with what Marx says. Marx talks about how, you know, the next phase, the next socialist phase will have the birthmarks of capitalism. You know, the idea that socialism or the next social form is developed out of the previous one. So it bears the marks of it. That's why like capitalism took a very long time to sort of shed its skin of feudalism. Right, Gary? That's why like capitalism really started developing in the early like 15, eight, uh, 1500s, late 1400s. And, you know, the sort of peak of bourgeois revolutions that deposed feudal lords was in the late 1700s, early 1800s, a full 300 years after capitalism is really starting 
Um, so socialism is, is like that too. That's why we have private properties, probably still coexisting with collective property, um, with public property, with personal property, et cetera. So um, I, 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 I get it. But I still don't. Right. So my home, my house, yes. my property that I live on, the, 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 the plot of land I live on and the house, is that private property or is that personal property? I feel like it's for for people like me and you, Gary, it's a distinction without a difference, right? Because like you, you use private property to describe your personal property, but Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk won't use that in the same sense, right? So for example, your home, to use that specific example, right? The, the Stalin Constitution of 1936, right? Quote, the inviolability of the homes of citizens and the privacy of correspondence are protected by law. Article 56 of the Cuban Constitution, the home is invaluable. Nobody can enter the home of another against his will, except in those cases foreseen by law. Um, Article 39, the residents of citizens in the People's Republic of China is, are invaluable. Unlawful search of or intrusion into a citizen's, citizen's residence is prohibited. Um, so the idea of like protecting the right of your home right? The right of your property. I mean, eliminate the term private for a second. The protection of your property, Gary, exists in socialist constitutions. Yeah. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I, I get it, but I, I don't, right? Like, I still feel like... I. I Okay, I, I understand what you're saying, but then I, I don't understand the abolition of private property, right? I, what are we what are we abolishing exactly that, right? I, I understand that, like in Cuba, I can do I own the home or is it, I mean, who owns the home? Is it mine or is it the state's and I just get to live there? Well, Gary, what happens if I want to sell it for profit? Can well, I do that? Gary, let's be honest. Who owns your home now? The banks, right? Well, no, I own my home. You, you don't pay a mortgage on it. Uh, uh, mortgage is paid in full. Paid in full. Okay. They did. I mean, I owned it. They had a, they had a mortgage on it. They had a lien on it. If I didn't pay them, right, yeah, then then they got to so, seize the property, right? So, like, the reality is, even within capitalist societies, like the idea of like you having actual home ownership is a little bit questionable because not everyone has their mortgage paid off, right? But even if you don't, you still own the home. You're the homeowner. Someone else just has a lien on it. But if you default on your mortgage, then you don't own it. Well, that's a private agreement that you made with a bank. But, and this is a private agreement amongst the masses of Cuba to say. But it's not private, it's public. What's the difference? Isn't, isn't it a public collective decision amongst the people, a, d a democratic decision much better than the power hierarchy of JP Morgan versus little old me? I you mean. See, you see what I'm saying here? Like when you go into a bank and ask for a loan for a house, you're going up against like one of the most parasitic monopolies in the world, right? Like JP Morgan Chase, whatever we're talking about here, right? Like these are long-standing, awful cronyism to use your term, right? And they, in a sense, own the land, right? And then we also have eminent domain, right? Where in any time the US government come in and be like, it's eminent domain. You're That's right. the most anti-capitalist thing in the world. There's nothing more anti-capitalist than that. I'm but, just saying, and I understand it's constitutional, and that's why I say America's not a con you, you can't say, I want this property to build a parking lot, so get out of your home. And the Constitution says you can. That's not, that's not, that doesn't work in a capitalist society. If you want to offer me money, 
You can offer me money and perhaps I'll take it or perhaps I won't. But to say that the property is mine because I declare it's mine under what authority? Right. Like because you're willing to kill me. That, that's it. Right. Like that's that's the whole bowl game. Is it? It's your property because you're willing to kill me for it. But see, that's the difference. Right, Gary. In the U.S., in a sense, the banks and the government own all land. Effectively. Right. Like they have control of all land, right? Because of those things we just stated, right? And there's no constitutional right to have a house, right? right? In Cuba, that does not exist. In Cuba, the land is publicly owned. All land is publicly owned, right? But you have a a constitutional right to a home. You just don't own it. It's not yours. True, but I'd rather have a situation where I have a constitutional right to a home, right? Than when I, I don't. What and if I, I want to? Okay. Oh, and I'd rather have a system where, again, we have political and economic power over that say than in a system where I don't. Or a system where it's, you know, people in Washington, D.C. or our state capitals and like people like BlackRock. Right. Like that, that's the reality. Like I'd rather have a system where like we can all go to assemblies and vote on these matters and we can change if we want. We can't. If we don't like the government or the 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 society owning all land and resources, um, then we can change if we want. But that's going to be a, a a social decision that we have to make democratically. I like that system more. You may you may think it's flawed in some ways, but I think it is materially more beneficial to the masses than the U.S. system. I fundamentally think that that's what, what our disagreement and you're and you're entitled to feel that way right but like to to me what's beneficial or what works or what's better for the masses isn't the end game right what the end game is is to have a moral society based on voluntary mutually beneficial agreements right like if, if it fails and it's the worst society in the world well, at least we weren't immoral about it at least i didn't hurt anyone at least i didn't take anyone's stuff right so we just fundamentally disagree, right? Like if I said to you, enslaving people, chattel slavery is the best way to produce cotton and we can sell cotton at a more profitable price and it's cheaper and everyone can have free shirts. If we enslave people, I don't care. Like I don't care that it works best. Like that's not best to me. I want to live in a moral society and in a moral society, we don't force people in, into chattel slavery, right? So I don't, I don't care what's best. I care what's moral. Who determines morality? You want to get into that? Well, I mean, like, well, uh, Gary, I mean, you're a Christian, right? So, like, yeah. you have you have the fundamental belief that humans are born into sin, right? No, no, you don't have that belief. No, isn't that humans are born. Catholics believe that, and there are some there there are some there are some denominations of, of Christians that believe that, but no, that is not that. I had this conversation today with someone. There's nothing in the Bible at all, not a single verse you can point to. If I'm wrong, show it to me. That says original sin. Or that humans are born into sin, or that even humans are sinful. Sin is contrary to nature. Every single sin is contrary to nature. You were made in the image of God, and God is perfect. You were made in His image. This idea of original sin, or that you said that—that is what prosperity preachers like Joel Olstein want to tell you to make you feel good about yourself. It's not true. Sin is a choice. You can choose not to do it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. I'll move on. Next question, Gary. <laughs> Is that not the answer you were expecting? Uh, well, I just, you know, I've been to many different churches throughout my life, and I've, I've, I've never heard that. So I, I don't want to dwell on your personal beliefs when, like, 
again, I'll argue against like the what like the organized faith states, you know, that I grew up in, that that I I've seen in other churches and such. So I don't want to get into it. If if you don't personally believe that, then no, I, I don't want to I don't want to delve into it, Gary. It's fine. So it it basically comes down to a debate between, and I don't consider myself Arminian, right? But Arminianism and Calvinism. Those are basic, basically, the the two kind of. And you're not a Calvinist, right? No, uh, no. Uh, okay. I'm not. I don't. I would like. I just say that I'm a biblical Christian, but I, I think I, biblical Christianity lines up well with Arminian I, I, and I'm, Calvin. I'm curious, Gary. Send me some info on that. I'm just curious about that that debate or divide you you spoke of. Okay. I'm curious about that. Anyways, Gary, next question. Number oh, seven. I'm reading the questions. Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm, right. I'm reading the questions. Uh, who decides what's in the best interest of the collective? What happens if I peacefully disagree and resist? Um, see, I wanted to play videos for this, Gary, because I feel like the videos do such a better job of explaining like the political structure of these societies, right? Than I can. Um, I know there's a way we can do it. Right, where you just aren't allowed to talk to the video, Gary, because you will hear your own echo. Right? I'll shut up. That's fine. Oh, uh, do you want me to play the one on China or the one on Cuba? The one on Cuba is longer, but I think better. If you think it's better, play that one. Okay, it's about ten minutes long. Is that okay, Gary? I'll... <sighs> yeah, I mean, I'll mute so I don't talk through it. You're gonna try hard. I understand, Gary. It's hard. If you want to say something, like put something in the private chat. And I'll, I'll see the notification, okay? I, I'm going to make notes. And I, I, I... Yeah. Ah. I know no one else can hear it, but I can hear it right now. And it's so loud. Jesus Christ. Okay. Make it over here. Hold on, guys. Because I think this will explain, like, how political governance is structured, right? And I think the one on Cuba does a great job dispelling some of the common myths so to speak of of social societies you know it's often phrased that like these are dictatorships there's no democracy and such and i think that's just very very inaccurate um this video is from azor scapegoat youtube channel um does some good videos on on communism and such um let me pull it up right here Okay, for those listening right now, there's going to be a little bit of an, like an audio click probably as I switch over the system so you guys can hear it. There we go. It's clicked over. Let's play. And now, Gary, if you still don't hear the video, like let me know, even though you might hear an echo for yourself because I need to know if this works or not, right? Because it's been pissing me off. Okay, let's play it. As I turn the video. If you live in any of these countries, and by these countries I really mean this country, it may come as a shock to you that Cuba is not a totalitarian dictatorship ruled by a single person. In fact, Cuba has a very interesting system of participatory democracy that I'm going to explain to you in this video. Thank you to the Swedish Cuban organization in Gothenburg for helping me with this video. It's been very helpful to be able to talk to Cubans actually born and raised in Cuba. Alright, let's start off with the Cuban Constitution. The Cuban Constitution was a result of thousands of broad discussions in advisory meetings involving more than 6 million citizens, 
which was practically the entire adult population of Cuba at the time. The draft for this constitution was to be either rejected or denied via a popular referendum. The referendum had a turnout of 98%, and out of those 98%, 97.7% voted to accept the new constitution. This almost unanimous agreement was a result of the previous broad discussions, which resulted in 16,000 amendment suggestions. Cuba has 169 municipal assemblies, and each one has an election every two and a half years. Every fifth year, three months after the municipal elections, there is an election to the Cuban parliament, the National Assembly of People's Power, as well as to the 14 province assemblies. All Cuban elections have had turnouts of over 95% ever since 1976. It is not a requirement for you to be a member of the Communist Party of Cuba to vote or to be elected to any position, and the Communist Party does not propose, support, nor elect any candidates. In fact, the party doesn't participate in the elections at all. No one here has gone to an election and been presented with a ballot paper and told, these are the party members for whom you have to vote, nor is anyone nominated for being a party member. This element can perhaps be invoked as a reflection of leadership, fitting conduct, good performance, or a vocation for public service, but not because the condition of party member is established as a requirement to enter public office in our laws, says Dr. José Luis Tolendo Santander. Claro que la mayoría del pueblo apoya la revolución. La gran mayoría, no la mayoría, la gran mayoría. Como ejemplo máximo de este apoyo, las elecciones nuestras, que son elecciones abiertas, democráticas y populares, verdaderamente populares. Porque, por ejemplo, yo he sido elegido en dos ocasiones como diputado a la Asamblea Nacional del Poder Popular. Y yo soy un escritor, un intelectual, no soy un político, tampoco soy militante del Partido Comunista. Anyone over the age of 16 can vote and can be nominated to be a candidate for election in one of the 169 municipal assemblies or one of the 14 provincial assemblies. However, you must be at least 18 years old to become a candidate for a seat in the National Assembly. Neither money nor political parties have a place in the nomination process. Instead, individuals directly nominate those who they think should be candidates. As a result, the Cuban parliament has representatives from across society, including an exceptionally high proportion of women, 48.9% to be exact. In comparison, the percentage of women in the United States House of Representatives is 19.4%. Among all countries, the United States is ranked 101st out of 196 countries in total. Cuba is number three behind only Rwanda and Bolivia. Fun fact, Saudi Arabia has a higher percentage of women in its legislative assembly than the United States does. Furthermore, 88% of Cubans participate in what is basically a system of direct democracy. The Committees for the Defense of the Revolution, CDRs, allow anyone over the age of 14 to join, and they meet a minimum of once every three months to plan the running of the community, including the organization of public health campaigns to promote good health and prevent disease, the upkeep of the area in terms of waste and recycling, the running of voluntary work brigades, and providing the adequate support to members of the community who are in need of help, for example in the case of domestic disputes. The CDRs also discuss nationwide issues and legislation, and feedback their proposals to the National Assembly and other organs of popular democracy. But at the heart of the Cuban democratic system is the locally elected delegate. Prior to the municipal elections, residents of all the neighbourhoods of that municipality gather to a meeting in order to nominate candidates. If you are nominated, you're free to either accept or decline the nomination. If several people are nominated, a meeting appoints the person whom the neighbourhood trusts as their candidate via discussion and show of hands. Up to eight adjacent neighbourhoods make up a constituency. Each candidate is presented with a short biography and photo on an A4 sheet of paper. Election promises or electoral pledges are forbidden. On election day, the elections are conducted via secret ballot like in most democratic countries. Then a minimum of two and a maximum of eight candidates from a single constituency are to be elected to the municipal assembly. The polls are guarded by school children and everyone has the right to monitor the votes being counted. The whole school children thing might seem a bit weird at first, but yes, 
The ballot boxes are guarded by elementary school children called pioneers. Elections are very calm and take place on Sundays so that people can go vote, and so that the pioneers aren't in school when the voting is happening. The idea behind this is that when a son, daughter, nephew, niece, granddaughter or grandson is taking care of the box, the family spends the day checking on them to see that they're behaving well and so on, and so the polling station is taken care of by everyone. The counting of the votes is public, and any citizen who wants to be can be present. The ballot box is opened, all the ballots are laid out, they are counted, and the result is given immediately, so there can't really be any greater transparency. And if that wasn't enough, the National Electoral Commission, once the electoral processes have concluded, conducts random audits of polling stations. Hi, Mark Barden at Sandy Hook Promise really here. Really bad? Jesus Christ. When the gunman shot his way in... Uh, Let's I, say that I, you I, won your local municipal election. Okay. No, I, I get it. They, they, they have they elections. Have elections. And, and I, 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 I knew that they, they did. did. And I, I, I'm, I'm not, not one, one of these people, people that buy into the propaganda where Cubans are living in cages and the government feeds them bread once a week, right? Like I, 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 like I said, Rigacini goes there and lives there six months at a clip, right? I, 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 he's not going to go do that if you have to live in a cage. You know, he's not going to come from Italy and live in there. They have to feed you bread through bars and then they give you water, right? Like I, 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 I know that that's propaganda. I, I get it, right? Like I know that's, that's not that's true, right? But like we were talking about like um, – Property rights and, and things like that, right? Like, like, like. So, I, but you're saying that the abolition of property. Like, what if I don't want to have my property? Right? What if I don't want to be a part of the commune? Right? What if I want to live off the grid? I want to have a plot of land, and I, I just want to be left alone. Can I? Can I basically do that, or is someone going to make me be part of the the well, community? No. Like, for example, let's, let's let's use Cuba for example, Gary. Right? If you wanted to have like some homestead out in the country right and have a little farm or whatever and be self-sufficient like you can do that you know like that's fine because again you have the right to a house right um you know I, we're gonna get to the last question but the idea of like being forced to work is also not true especially depending on certain circumstances right there's there is like only one constitution of any socialist country i saw that said like if you are able you have a duty to work. That's only, there's only one constitution I saw that said that, and it had the qualifier of like if you are able. So I, the idea of like, can you just go out in the country and have a home and like be left alone? Yeah, you largely can, Gary. You know, there's a great documentary. Um, I forget the name of it. It's like cameraman in Havana or something like that, right? It's this journalist, and I'll find it for you again. I send it to you to, to make sure that I think it's on Netflix. Um, and it's this guy that just this journalist dude that him and his wife went down to Cuba to report after the revolution in like 1962 or whatever, right? And then just decided I'm gonna go like every few years for the rest of my life and just document it. And this documentary is like the over the decades, him in Cuba, all the changes in Cuba, right? And there's this like little farm that he made friends with right and it's like three brothers and they live out on their own they have a few oxen right um and it's not you know perfect because like cuba's went through some economic issues for a variety of reasons but um the idea of like can you go and be isolated in a sense from the rest of society you can largely do that like example the soviet union like you don't think it was possible to go out and have a little village hut in the middle of like siberia if you wanted to and be left alone of course you could um you know it's it's you know i, I guess we should get into the last question here gary because that's kind yeah. of what we're telling into yeah 
You want to read it off? Yeah, let me pull it up. Because it gets into other aspects other than just work, too. Someone, I still don't understand how you can live in a, as an able-bodied person, prime of life years. You, you're still saying you, you don't have to work in a communist society. I, I, I don't, I don't. Again, I only saw one constitution that said that you have a duty to work if you're able to. So you could, in theory, choose not to work and still have the right to someone else's labor, a home, right? You could say, I'm not going to work or contribute in any way, but I still want the home. Yes. Why would, I mean, why wouldn't people choose that? Like, why would anyone work then? Why? I'm being serious. Like, I, I mean, I, I, this, I don't, you know, yeah, why? Like, you know, maybe you're young and you're energetic, but like, if, if you're a middle aged guy, like, I don't like, want to work. But, but Gary, the reality is, like, let's say you have like that, like, you know, farm, village, hut situation, right? On the outskirts of some remote town, right? You still have to work. <laughs> what do you mean? You still have to like. Right, but, but I'm you, working for myself. I'm, 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 work, I'm yeah. working my own land. Yeah. 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 You still have to work to provide food, you know? Like so, like I, I. But don't I have a right to food in your society? You know, I saw. I was reading through the constitutions, and I didn't look specifically for that, right? Okay. Um, I, I do know that there's been certain socialist countries that have guaranteed the right to food. Um, for example, I believe it was East Germany did this. Um, I want to say Poland as well. Uh, I could be uh, wrong about Poland, but I'm pretty sure about East Germany that they had like monthly like food rat like everyone's food rations that everyone was entitled to. Like imagine like food stamps, right? But everyone got food stamps, right? Like that's kind of the the way I think you can understand it, right? It, it wasn't um, there wasn't any requirements to meet in order to get food stamps. It wasn't um only for the very economically disadvantaged it was for everyone everyone got food rations um and it'd be like you know meats and butter and bread you know and um seasonings and pasta and stuff like that you know it'd be noodles and stuff it'd be basics it wouldn't be crazy stuff but it would be you would get your monthly you know food so to speak and then you can work and then you can have you know provide more food and buy more food if you wanted to as well um that's how they're also able to get the monthly income like uh, usage down for families. Like, for example, the Soviet Union, they were for, for long periods, periods of time. I want to say up until like the 1980s, um, they were doing that as well. Um, and that's why they were able to eliminate so much of what like the family average income was used on food because the state was subsidizing food. Um but anyways, Gary, I don't know if I answered your question. Kind of, yeah. So I guess that I have a, mis a fundamental misunderstanding, and maybe those who on the on the right who tell me I, I'm wrong, and that you can get all this stuff without having to work are, are right. Like you can get a house, and at least in each East Germany, you can get a house and food, and then but offer the nothing back and not work at all. But the reality is, Gary, if you're in an urban situation here, right, like you most likely are working. If you're in the prime of your life, like people work, like work and labor is where like a huge part of our values derive from. Like, you're saying I don't have to work, right? In America, you don't, but you do, right? Like you don't by law, but you do in actuality, right? in, in, yes. by a functioning purpose, you yes. do. Here you're saying, if I don't want to go to work, then I just don't go to work. Or no, I, I'm, I'm asking. What, what I'm saying is Gary, no, 
that's not your, your phrase. Your framing of it's not true. I already told you, you do work. I, which is, but if, what happens? Work. What happens if I don't? I guess is my question. Well, if, if, you I decide, on, if, if you're on a farm and you don't produce your own food, you die. No, no it, it, I'm saying if if I'm living in 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 the the middle of Havana, let's say, right, uh-huh. big city, and I decide I'm not going to go to work for the next six months. I'm just not going to show up. Right in America, you lose your job and then you lose everything. Right? Mm-hmm. What what happens in in Havana if I do that? I'm just not going to show up. I just I, I I'm going to like half bake this. I'm out. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I don't think Cuba does monthly food supply. So you wouldn't eat then in in essence, you wouldn't eat. Yeah. Cause Cuba is a different scenario, right? Like Cuba is so heavily embargoed that like, um, supply chain issues are, are an issue for Cuba, right? Like there's times they have fuel shortages and they can't do certain things. Um, so like that, that's a reality for Cuba that maybe doesn't exist in, let's say like a China or the USSR for a period of time, you know. Um, oh yeah, they're not going to have fuel shortages. They they got not much fuel in those countries. They're not going to have shortages. You know, they're it's, it's, fuel. They got they got real issues. You know, or like, for example, like let's say like in like very early revolutionary period of China, or like you know post revolution, right? So like early Mao era, right? It was so underdeveloped. The idea of like there wasn't the infrastructure to supply food medicine and housing for everyone like people had to work because like there wasn't those systems there wasn't factories enough to supply materials for you know one billion people that didn't exist it was so underdeveloped due to the british empire and that hundred years of humiliation um so again there's it's one of those things where i don't think there is a black or white answer to that question gary because i think at certain times it's been different policies you know whatever the material conditions are you know what i mean um you know like wartime soviet union you know i remember i think i read somewhere that like they like in 1942 right so like right before stalingrad when things are really bad they've lost huge sectors of their developed western side of their country right um they had to shorten food rations they had to like let's say drop from 2000 calories a month to you know 1500 or something like that right and that's been the only time that like that should happen but it was due to a material condition right cuba because of supply chain issues they might not have the amount of food to give out to the entire population uh and then subsidize you know the question just unrelated but related Outside of the U.S., what it is like the rest of the, the the Western world, let's say, and 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 the global South, like mm-hmm. South South and Central America, what is their trade relations with Cuba? I know it's not like what we do, but like, like how does Denmark or Sweden or Italy or Colombia or Chile or Argentina? What's their relationship? Is it just basically the same as any other country with Cuba, or or is it no, it's restricted? Different. It's okay. Well, it depends, right? Like, for example, you. You know, I said this on the last shot, um, or maybe it was on the the boxing show we did yesterday. I think I said it, Gary. Um, like, if you're a corporation, right? You're a shipping and distribution corporation. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. If you have a ship that, you know, takes port in Havana or a Cuban port, your company is now blacklisted. I want to say for a year. I, um, I can look up this if you want. I have it saved somewhere. Um, so, like, you know, if you're a major corporation, you can't afford to go trade with cuba right now 
there are certain countries that obviously have an antagonistic relationship with the U.S. So they have more trade relations with Cuba, for example. Like Russia just signed a bunch of trade deals with Cuba like three days ago, right? That's because the economic ties between Russia and the U.S. have faltered to where they are now, right? Venezuela, for example, has far more deep economic ties with Cuba for obvious reasons. Nicaragua, for example, you know, there's certain countries that have very open policies. China, I want to say, um, and I, I could be wrong here, but um, they're what's called SOEs, their state-owned enterprises, are the only ones that really trade with Cuba. I could be wrong about that, but I don't think a lot of the private corporations within China actually go and trade with Cuba for that reason. It's the Chinese state uh, enterprises are the ones that do most of the heavy lifting. So a lot of countries, specifically in the Western world, that are going to want to trade with the U.S. because of the are, are restricted at least in how yes. they can. Yes. <laughs> this is what I mean by creating. They're trying to starve someone out. Oh, who poses, who poses no threat to you outside of anything that you've self-inflicted, right? I mean, it, I, <laughs> um, yes, yes, Gary. Foreign um, policy is a disaster. Did you? You didn't even ask the last question, did you? Oh, yeah, let's get to the last question. Yeah. Let's get to the last question. Let's get to it. Go read it off. Uh, someone like me who has earned some money, has passive income, doesn't need to work, uh, can live off investment income and oil gas royalties and doesn't have to work in their prime of life years uh would i be allowed not to work or would i be forced to contribute to the collective uh, or would my investment income and would my uh, investment income and mineral right mineral rights and royalties be seized do you need me to read that again i know i butchered that or, no it's okay uh okay. I, I got it hold on melody's trying to show me something what what is it later okay okay all right um okay there's a few parts here right so uh, allow me to try to answer it as best as I can. I know it's not, it's gonna probably be the one answer you like the least. I'm gonna be quite honest here, Gary. Um, it's very possible that like your natural resources royalties uh, will change. Um, you know, it's very common in after sort of a revolution, social revolution, whatever sort of revolution we're talking about, right? I don't want uh, YouTube to get mad at me. Um, after, you know, working class gains power, it's very common for national resources to be, to get nationalized. So they're not um, used as commodities and they're not uh, extracted um, to the negative effect of society, right? For example, you know, water pollution, you know, too much extraction of, um, what, what is this? I'm I'm in the middle of the show. Can we? What what is this? It's who is that again? I read it. I read it. Yes. Okay. Hey, let me get back to my show, babe. <laughs> I I okay. Um, I don't even know where I was at now. Um, it, it's very possible that like that stuff gets nationalized, right? So the idea of like commodifying those effects those things will probably not uh, be in the private ownership. Um, it's not always the case, but it's, it's very common uh, that that happens. So let's say you have stock in some gas company or mineral company, right? Some private corporation. You know, it's very possible that that corporation no longer exists in a sense, or at least 
the the nature of it changes whether it changes to a state-owned enterprise whether it gets um um whether it becomes a worker co-op you know like there's been tons of policies throughout you know socialist and social democratic history of of more of a um less forceful way of doing this where workers can choose to turn their company into a worker co-op and then and, and buy the company in a sense out from the owner and the state comes and provides the loan for that um, like jeremy corbyn had that policy uh, as he was running for prime minister of the uk um so there's stuff like that that could happen where let's say you still gain some sort of ownership of it but the ownership changes right it's now you're sharing ownership with the laborers of that company or so to speak right so that's a possibility um so i'm gonna lose everything i've worked for right basically hold on gary all right i mean if the answer is yes just say yes we don't need to sugarcoat things show it, me your hand look hey it's very possible i don't know all of your assets right i don't know well, i'm saying like uh so do, do you kind of know how like uh energy and oil investments work like like it's not i don't own stock in a company i, I actually own a, a part of the land and the mineral rights right so it, it works the same way as that you would buy a stock right like you own a small portion and obviously the rich people like jerry jones owns a much bigger portion yeah. right so um and, and like the idea of wildcatting is absolute right like ted cruz his parents kind of in, in, invented the technology that like for fracking like there's no more drilling dry holes really right? just how much oil can we get out of this right mm. um so and then i get you know the percentage of ownership is so let's say i own you know one percent of it i get one percent of the revenue for as long and and the, and the royalties for as long as that thing is pumping oil like in spindle and houston area those things have been pumping oil for 100 years so i keep that now now gary um yeah for example like it's very possible that you would lose ownership of that very possible um i would say it's more than likely you know uh without knowing the exact situation there in terms of like what mineral you own because some minerals are more you know socially necessary than others right for example um but gary, oil and natural gas gary correct me if i'm wrong here um because this is more personal so i don't know if, you know if we want to get into it but you do not just choose not to work anymore correct like you you could no longer work at one point right because of your seizures yeah so your situation i will say to individualize it for you gary to make it about the individual for once in this show for me um it's very possible i would say more than likely that you would lose those assets but because you don't have the ability in the prime of your life as you say to to go and work because you have a disability the idea of being forced to work the idea of being now forced to go back into the labor market because you don't own assets and you don't have money i don't think will happen you know the idea of people with disabilities you know they have they are a class of people that cannot be working class so the societal support given to them by socialist communist societies uh must be a lot and it is a lot in these societies you know when a person has a disability and cannot work there's never a case where they're for they're forced to work 
that's never happened um you know the the idea that you won't be able to have a a good life now because you don't own those assets i also don't think would be the case because like i've stated you have your home is still there right you now you and all your family gets medical care that you don't have to pay for anymore right so that goes out the window um you know when we ha are in a society like the us it's entirely feasible that food will be a right too in the us because we have the capability of food production to provide food for everyone right so now you don't have to pay for food you know you your home is never going to be violated you don't have to pay for medical care you know so the cost of living should drastically fall for someone like you gary um and imagine someone that let's say is like you that has disability but can't work but they don't have those assets they are struggling significantly and i would say that's probably more of the majority of disabled people that they don't have assets and mineral rights and natural gas rights and royalties to survive on and, and have, stocks and bonds and yeah I, I don't think right. that's a very common thing so for disabled people as a whole, I think the idea of protecting those things, your home, your your, your right to health care, um, you know, your right to food. I think for disabled people, that would be such a drastic rise in quality of life compared to now when, you know, the state's giving you, you know, 1500 bucks a month to survive on, on disability. You can't do that. If you live in a major urban area, you can't survive on what disability is paying. You can't pay for rent, for food, for health care. Well, you, healthcare is taken care of in a sense, but you know, you nah, I, it's really not though, right? Like you have yeah. to pay for the health care out of right I, because it, the disability works the same way as it works for Social Security with elderly, yes. right? I mean, you still have to pay for it out. I mean, so take the money that you get and then subtract. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what you get from from disability. I'd say it's I don't know two thousand dollars a month. It's probably not even that high, honestly, right? Um, then if you want health insurance, then you have to subtract it from mm -hmm. that amount of money, right? Yeah. So uh, no, you, no, no one. I don't really care. No, you, definitely not in LA or New York or San Francisco, right? So, but I don't think you're living very many places at all. So that. to answer your question, you know, for someone like you that has these investments that have the these ownership of land and natural resources you know post-revolution you 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 won't have those things but the the quality of life for you and people like you gary will be so drastically different and improved because your basic necessities are now guaranteed rights when that wasn't the case before um and you know i i know um you know, when we talk about, you know, automation, you know, and things like that for labor, you know, the idea of like universal basic incomes too, you know, that might be a necessity, you know, in the near future. When Can we talk about that for a minute? Because people hate this idea. And I'm like, really? Like, like I, I, the distribution of it is going to be a nightmare initially, granted. And there's going to be headaches for sure. But if people can pursue passions, an interest and stay at home and raise their kids because they, they don't have to drive a truck all day 
Why is that a bad? Explain to me why that's a bad it's, thing. It's only a bad thing if, if, if you're kicked out of the labor force because it's automated now. But the system is designed that way. You can only make money to survive and pay for housing, food, and medicine by working. Then there's an issue here, right? Because now you're we're not- talking about UBI, right? We're talking about there being a UBI to replace the truck driver who lost his job to automate. I'm just or yeah, the yeah, farmer yeah. or or the radio host or mm-hmm. whatever was replaced by AI or or, or or automation or whatever, right? Like my buddy is a photographer. And he doesn't use lawyers to write up his contract anymore. He uses AI, and then he just fills in what he needs to fill in. But AI generates the contract, mm-hmm. right? So lawyers will be replaced, right? It's not just like these menial jobs. It's like it, it could be like most. Yes. You, yes. Know, you won't need a radio host. You won't need a comedian. You'll just put it in AI and say, tell me funny jokes. Right? You, should, <laughs> like, you should check out a book uh, by an anarchist, late anarchist. He, he passed away, I think, in 2020, named David Graeber. He has a book called Bullshit Jobs. And it's this like great analysis on how like the the super, the the unnecessary nature of so much of our like managerial and administration work that we have. Um, you would like it because it's like one of those things where like we can just eliminate a lot of jobs and just like take care of people's basic needs. Um, you might like Graeber. Graeber's Graeber's a good anarchist. Um, he has a book on debt too about the history of debt. That's really good. Um, so, but, 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 so basically, just to get back to the question real quick, right? You're gonna take my stuff, and let's say, I, take the disability aside, right? Just say I'm able-bodied, and I just I'm able to retire and live off uh, passive income, mm-hmm. natural resource income, and, and, and you know, stock ownership, right? So, corporations, you're gonna take that from me. It's, I'm able-bodied, right? Like, yes. so my, yes. my kids are fully disabled. Like, mm-hmm. the decision. I want to, I got to be with my kids, right? Like they're, they're they're both fully disabled, both my boys. I I got to be home with them, right? Like, I mean, I, I, I have the ability to do that, right? Like uh, most people don't. I I would, I would say your ownership of those assets are going to go away, but that ability to stay with them won't go away. That'd be, that'd be my argument that in, in, in in our system right now, if we were to take away your ownership of that and that and that's the only thing we would change, you're right. Think it would be stealing and then you couldn't have those times with your kids. You'd be forced to go, to go back to work. Absolutely the case. And a so- socialist society, I would say that's not the case. For the reason you just say that your kids are disabled and you, you need to take care of them. Right, but theoretically, I could send them off to government school all day, but I don't want to do that because I, I know how special needs kids are treated. In schools, at least in this country, I, I don't want to do yeah. that, right? I, I right, I, I want, I got to be home with them, right? And um, so, I'm saying, take like, let's say I wasn't. Let's just say you have no kids, you're able body, you're you're just a bachelor out in the town, Gary. You're, you know, and no, yeah, your stuff would be taken because, and the reality is, like that land that you have ownership of isn't really your land. That's stolen land. Like that land did not belong to america in 1730 no it belonged to texans and we declared ourselves independent in 1730 no in in 1836 no that's our land we won it but won it from who mexico and where did mex where did mexico get it from well, I mean, okay, so this. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Here, what is Mexico? What is Texas? I what? What is this Texas you speak of? Is I mean, it, it's, it's it's lines on a map. Okay, is that is that what you're getting at? 
Like no, it's just, these no, these are colonial settler colonial projects that have stolen land resources and are committed tons genocide of Aztecs and 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 native people who live in Texas. It's like especially by the valley and stuff. And a lot of them move to San Antonio, the closest big city. But there okay. are tons of native peoples, like yeah. uh, tons. So they're saying you're saying it's your, your argument, and I'm not gonna. Uh, this is like me and Mario. Mario Barros is an Aztec, right? Like, so you're saying he stole his own land? Like, that doesn't make any no, sense. No, He's no, an indigenous no. person. Gary, 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 did I say indigenous Mexicans, which is different than co colonial Spanish Mexicans, right? Did I say they colonized their own land? No, I said I said these are settler colonial projects. The government of Mexico was was never indigenous. Has there ever been an indigenous ethnic person that's been a president of Mexico? The answer is no. I don't know the answer to that. The answer is no. The okay, answer is no. no. Answer is no. <laughs> I have answer, no idea. The answer is no. Um, no, Mexico has a horrible history of actually how it treats indigenous communities. Um, I, I knew that. I, I knew that. Which is so, so yeah. this all the land we're on right now is not ours. It was stolen through genocide, theft, and rape over hundreds and hundreds of years. So the idea like this is yours, I I don't buy that even. Like I don't think anyone any one of us that's of European descent has a right to this land and to commodify it. It's not ours. We stole it. Our ancestors stole it. Like that's the reality. Maybe not your direct ancestors, Gary. I know you're first generation. I get that. But the reality is like our nation our nations. Our people, they went and did this. And now we're sitting here reaping the benefits when the people that were here before us are now, you know, put into reservations that are the worst land, the most un the most unfarmable land in the United States. Um, you know, like I would argue like Texas belongs like the the, it, the the sovereignty of Texas should never go to the white ranchers or the descendants of white ranchers that stole it i would say it belongs to the comanches it belongs to the apaches and other tribes and how we fit on that i well, we that that's that, that that's the up settlers, to the, that's the up ranchers to the, that's up the, to the self-determination of the native people the their settlers, freedom is up to them and, and the texans right the texans with an eye and the tejanos mm -hmm. work together to separate themselves from mexico to say this is our land Right, like that's why there's, there's, there, you know what I'm saying? You, I, I, I understand. I'm not. This is a whole argument. I'm not going to get into a stolen land, whatever. Right? I'm, like it's not even an argument worth having. But what I'm it saying is, is that it doesn't is. really it apply. That doesn't is. really it apply to to there, Texas because it, it does. It does. I it would really, I would recommend reading Gerald Horn's book on the revolution, uh, the Texas Revolution, 1840. 1836 to 1845. There we go. Thank you. Um, that's a really excellent book on this subject. Highly recommend it. Or watch uh, some of his interviews about it because he's given interviews on YouTube and such. So you can check out that as well. Um, he does an excellent job talking about how Texas is a settler colonial project that was then, in, in a sense, backed by the U.S. government, um, which is also, again, a settler colonial project. And the idea that like, th this debate isn't relevant or important, I think, is also not true when we have the descendants of, of of tribes still on res land, still having their sovereignty be uh, violated left and right, treaties that they that we have signed with them not be um, followed through, you know, like Standing Rock still is like burned in my brain. So 
this is very real, especially when we talk about not just America, but the entire indigenous genocide that went on, you know, the, 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 um, what were they called? The, not charter schools, the, what were they called? The schools out in Canada where they found hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of unmarked graves of native kids that were in a sense killed and exterminated by the Canadian government. Um, in an effort to destroy the culture of indigenous people. So like, this is a very real and ongoing thing. You know, the second wounded knee that happened in the 1970s, you know, like this is very real, you know, native sovereignty and the erasure of it is an ongoing process that has never stopped since 1492. Um, So I don't think it's, a debate that's not worth having for the sake of this conversation i'm not saying i just want of this conversation i just want to make sure the people listening they understand like this is a very important aspect to this whole idea of like are you going to take my land well is it really your land like that's a huge part of this like there's a material history there's a an albatross hanging around all of our necks like if we don't get rid of it then like it's just always going to hang there and we you have to just advocating taking land that i have a legal ownership over you, you just advocated for that or said that it would be a part of, of of the communist system is to take my land to take my mineral rights to to decommodify land yes de, 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 decommodify land. You, you, you're, you're taking land that legally belongs to me but then i get into who, who set up that legal system to make sure that you our control of that land and not the Comanches and the Apaches. This is a, a private oil exploration, right? So someone bought the land, right? And then they needed money to drill the hole, was, perhaps it, to buy the land and pump it out, right? And and for investing into that, you keep a portion of whatever comes out of the hole. There was no, there was no, nobody on all this natural resource rich land before we came here. I mean, again, again, North America was heavily populated when we got when we had ships come. Like it, it was it wasn't some deserted continent. You know, that's it was very heavily populated. You know, like that the idea that oh, well, we just went and bought this land. No, no, you didn't. Like some some corporation with the backing of the U.S. cavalry came in, murdered and put people in concentration camps. In effect took that land and gave the deed to J.P. Morgan, who sold it to some industrialist, who sold to some oral company. Well, well like we were this. we were a completely different country, right? Like, but, but Texas it, had nothing it, to do with that. Like, you're, you're, you're giving, you're giving. Indigenous genocide is ongoing. It's never stopped. I, I don't understand how you can say that Texas are, when, when they fought side by side with them to secure their own land. Right, they're saying this is our land. Right, the ranchers who apparently you're calling genocides worked side by side with the indigenous people, the Tejanos. Right, and to, and 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 did the indigenous people gain sovereignty of Texas? We all did. No. Yeah, from 1836 no. to 1845. Yeah, no. Y- yeah, from, no. for nine years, and then we became part of the United States. What? Which indigenous leader was the state? Or was the president of Texas? So you're saying was. The president, okay, was the president of Texas what, an indigenous person? What senators of Texas were indigenous? What who was in the political establishment of the Republic of Texas that was indigenous? And you're gonna say 
that I'm assuming there's a constitution of Texas, right? At the yeah, there's a constitution of Texas. Yeah. I mean, was the was the sovereignty and land of the indigenous peoples and nations where they? It didn't. It didn't separate the indigenous people. There was. There, it doesn't. There was no separation between the indigenous but, peoples, but, but, Tejanos and Texans. Right. There was, there was a separation, Gary. No, there wasn't. There's no reses in Texas. You sure about that? Or they from all Oklahoma. The, 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 there's no, there's no, there's no, there's no Indian. Those are all Oklahoma. Yeah. So they, so they forced all entire indigenous nations to relocate. No, no, the U.S. government put them there because Oklahoma's a dump. So they gave them the crappiest land. You know that. Like that's why they live in North Dakota, where it's cold all the year, and and they live in Oklahoma. It, it, the it, U.S. It, government put them there because no one else wants there, to live there. Did the Republic of Texas have like a war against the U.S. government, or did it just vote to be a part of it? It's just voted to be. It, it's on a contract. Oh, so okay. Okay, so I you're making this like distinction without a difference here, Gary. I don't understand how it's a distinction without a difference. Like there's a, there's a massive difference. I don't. There's see, a massive difference. I don't see one. You, I see you you're saying indigenous tribes had any enemy of my enemy situation where they fought against Mexico with Texan settlers. And why is that your enemy? Why I don't understand why the Texans with an I and, and the Tejanos are or and then the Texan settlers came around and gave the sovereignty of their land to another country. They voted on it. And did the indigenous people vote on it? The, everyone voted on no, it. No, no, no. Are you sure about that, Gary? Well, all the represent all the representatives voted on it. Were any of the representatives indigenous? That's a good question. There's uh, there were plenty who who were Mexicans. Were they indigenous? I, I I don't I don't know I, I don't I don't know the answer to that. I, I, were they or they were, were they from Spain? I don't know. I, I don't I I honestly don't. I couldn't answer you either way on that. I feel like that's a very big part of it. But anyways, Gary, um, to answer your question, yes, your shit's gonna get taken, but your quality of life is gonna be drastically different. So the the, the quality the, is only decided by the end user. Like, what's a quality car? A BMW? It's a quality car. I don't want one. It's too much of a pain in the neck. That's not quality to me. A Honda? No. I'll take that. Gary, quality Gary. is only decided by the end user. That's, I mean, that's just not true. Like in terms of medical, you know, quality of life, that's like objective data we can see. You know, life. Well, what's what's quality if, is a subjective term. Quality. No, is they're subjective. No, 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 Gary. If your life expectancy goes up, your quality of life improves. If infant infant mortality goes down, quality of life improves. If poverty decreases, quality of life improves. I mean, this is like objective facts here, Gary. Are you saying that more poverty actually means better quality of life? Not, not, but that's, you're asking me my opinion, correct? No, no. That's, it's, that, it's, that's the subjectivity. It's, it's, it's not an opinion. It's like, it's, it's objective fact here. When, when countries gauge on whether or not they're better than another country, they gauge it off of certain criteria, whether it be economic criteria, whether it be GDP, uh, purchasing power index, whatever it is. And when it comes to quality of life, it's life expectancy, infant mortality, poverty, hunger rates. Like these are basic things that we can gauge on, like whether or not a system, a society has a better quality of life than another one. Right. If one country has more life, a better life expectancy, lower infant mortality rates, um, lower poverty rates, lower hunger rates, uh, while having a better purchasing power. Uh, or higher on the purchasing power index, rising GDP, you know, like these are what, all what things country, you age on that. I mean, life expectancy, what countries have the highest? I, I don't know the answer. What I, I'd imagine that they're probably Southeast Asian countries. I, I would imagine. I don't know what countries have the highest life expectancy. 
I don't know which country was the, the highest, but I do well, uh, know for a fact that China, Cuba, Vietnam have higher life expectancies than the U.S. But okay, that, that's because of the American lifestyle. All right, I mean that's because of, of choices people make to be four hundred pounds. I, I bet you the obesity in America far outweighs obesity in Cuba. Am I wrong? Wrong about that? Do you think? Look, food, do, do you think food distribution and food deserts is an individual choice or is it a, a collective class choice by one class over the other? Do you understand what I'm saying by that? Like the yeah. limitation of food options, the, the idea of closing down grocery stores, the idea of only putting up and for zoning purposes, only putting up fast food places, right? Is that not, and obviously like the monopolization of food, right? Like all food produce is owned by like five corporations, right? Um, is that is that really a choice or is that something that's being determined and you just have to live in that determination? I mean, I can argue that either way. I understand your point, but I don't think people are dying of starvation. They're dying because they make horrible life choices. I drink a 12 pack of soda and eat McDonald's five days a week. Like that's why they're dying at 65. Not because they don't have access to food. It's because they make horrible health choices and eat Twinkies for breakfast. Well, like, when, when we have like 40 million more Americans entering poverty in the last couple of years, access to food is dependent on how much money you have. Right. So if, largely, if, yeah. if we, if we have now, you know, tens of millions of Americans, slowly or rapidly going into poverty having less money to spend then food access is not only an issue of like food distribution and, and location it's now an issue of finances where can you afford the money for your family or for yourself right so you know we i won't be, i won't be surprised gary if as the system gets worse the idea of starving and starvation it becomes a bigger issue um but anyway. the starvation in America is basically absolutely it's not starving people it's it's eating garbage that kills people so young in America. I'm not saying that starvation is more than than bad food. I'm saying that the two are connected. That the corporation that determines or the corporations, the conglomerates that determine what where food is distributed and what type of food is distributed, right? They also have a system where you have to pay money for food. And if you don't have money for food, you die. And they also limit your choices on food. Um, right? Because your choices I mean, aren't really choices. You go down an aisle, all these different products are owned by the same corporation. There's 28 different flavors of Coke or Pepsi, but it's all owned by either the Pepsi Cola Corporation or the Coca-Cola Coke. There's a couple other, like Dr. Pepper and Snapple. Is, is another. There's a handful of them. You're right. There's only a, a few, but there are... I don't even. I, I, you know, I used to know all this stuff. Like if I was actively trying, what company owned what, and there's all right, like Procter and Gamble, right? I, I understand what you're saying, um, but th th there are still, and it, it, you're right. It, it, it is extremely expensive, right? And I, I'm able to buy high end clean food, and most people aren't. I, I, I understand that, right? Um, have you ever, you've been to Europe, right? The the portions of food that they eat are about a third of what we eat in Texas, right? Like it, it's not food shortages that is killing people, right? I, I just think that that's a misrepresentation of the actual problem. It's what they're eating, and what I'm, they're smoking, and what they're drinking. Gary, Gary, you're you're trying to make it like this problem or that. I'm saying they're both problems. One is more than the other. You're right, 
but I've already listed why I think that that one exists. Interesting though, right? Like it, it, when I go to Italy, I don't exercise much, right? I just eat and drink th- their food and water. And I feel better. I feel good. You come here to America and you eat the food and you feel tired and sluggish and crappy. I, I, it's off topic. I, I'm wondering what's in the food. There's um, there's a ton of stuff they put in food here that's not allowed in the EU. And especially in the EU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially like like Just do like, an experiment. Go to Europe for six weeks. Eat the food. Drink the water. You feel fine. You feel good. Like, Energy. Like, what's it on Takis and stuff like that and like hot Cheetos that's not allowed in Europe? Red dye, right? Yeah, and that stuff's linked to like cancer and uh, yeah, and a ton of stuff. Um, and that stuff's not allowed in the EU. Um, so like it's, it's not food; it's poison. It's a small dose of poison, so it doesn't kill you immediately. And who is poisonous, Gary? The capitalist. My rest, my case, Gary. The capitalist here or the capitalist in the EU? No, the capitalist here, but not the capitalist in the EU. Well, the EU is different, Gary. The EU is not capitalist. EU is capitalist, but it also has a long history of social democracy, right? So like Euro communism or Euro socialism, like it's a long tradition where like France has certain policies or obviously the Nordic model, right? Is obviously one that's been talked about ad nauseum by like Bernie Sanders and such, right? When he ran as president. Um, energy independent, unlike America, by the way. Oh, of, of course, of course, of course. But, you know, the you know, what like the right calls like welfare states, right? What, you know, left calls social democracies. Um, the collective influence, so to speak, because I wouldn't say it's real like political and economic power the working class has, right? But the working class in Europe is far more influential, I will say. Um, the unions there are far stronger. Um, they're far, far more militant as well. And they've had more successful wins than the U.S. You know, when I talk about like the New Deal economics and FDR and that that 40 year sort of period, Gary, we talked about like the the peak of the U.S. economy and the quality of life and such. Right. At least for white Americans um, that that was taken that was started by the Europe before us and it was expanded upon more. Uh, I forget the exact name of the the French socialist, so to speak, that was in power after World War II. Um, that was that was prime minister or president of France. But again, it was just they went farther, Europe, Western Europe too, in approaching socialist and communist policies, so to speak, than we did here. That's that's the reason why, Gary. Like even the UK before it left the EU, like the NHS. You know, it being a, a, a national socialized in a sense me- a medical system um, that's been underfunded and undercut in the last few decades. Um, like that was started by a united front in the UK that pushed that policy forward. And we didn't get that. We didn't yeah, have to win. In Italy, they have a, a national health care system, mm-hmm. but they also have a private health care system. Like you don't have you can, you yeah, can yeah. go in and buy your own health insurance. You can buy your own medical. You can go in and pay in cash if you want to or you can have the government program mm-hmm. um anyways i don't know what uh, wh- wh- where we started from that i don't know where was that gary no I, I think that's it i think that's it that was just off topic when we we're talking about the, the horrible food and you said the capitalists in america were bad the capitalists in the eu um gary any last questions or thoughts before we head out here man no it's, that's it i gotta run i was supposed to be done with this like a half hour ago it's okay gary um i appreciate it man i hope 
I hope this was illuminating. You know, even if you don't agree, I hope you have a better understanding of communism and such going forward. You know, those that, that are more of your political school of thought, Gary, I hope that those that listen maybe don't, you know, they, they come away being like, maybe I'm wrong about certain things. Maybe I should research this. And even if you don't end up being a socialist or communist, just rethink this stuff. Rethink what the U.S. tells you. You know, like the U.S. government, the Western countries, they have a reason, a very specific reason to propagandize against communism and socialists. So it's important to understand that reason. Important to understand that there are successes and mistakes within socialist countries, just like there was with capitalist countries. Um, but, you know, they are diametrically different systems. They oppose each other. Um, there's these contradictions that are inherent within capitalism. Um, between capital and labor that will manifest themselves in a variety of ways. Um, and hey, if you're in the working class right now, get involved. Get in a union. Okay? Get into it. exercises in free markets. You are exercises in free markets. You're not. You they know, are. <laughs> get into a, 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 if you are a renter, you know, tenant organizations, tenant unions and such are very important as well. Those are exercises uh, in the free market too. It, they're not. And if you are living in, um, you know, LA or New York, those support WGA strike. It looks like SAG and D and, uh, and uh, DGA are going to strike as well. So the entire entertainment industry looks like it's going to go to a halt. UPS Teamsters they were going on a strike at the end of the year or the, or the middle of the year, like July. Um, so three hundred thousand workers they were going on a strike. Hotel workers going on strike. Starbucks, Amazon. It's 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 flowing, guys. The working class continues. The struggle. Good for them. I, I I don't I don't I don't I I don't root for the government in a tax lawsuit, and I don't root for billionaires, right? So I hope they get what they want because that's an exercise in free markets. Um. Anyways, it's not an exercise in free market, but digressing, Gary. Follow me and Matt Hunter MCR all social media platforms. The like button, share the show, all that fun stuff. Check out the first part of our debate as well. We talked about religious freedom under communism. Um, some of the examples of, of socialist countries that I think are successes. I think those are all very important to check out as well. Gary, final thoughts. Let the people know where to find you. You can find me at all forms of uh, social media at 3D Boxing, 3D Boxing Blog. And you can also uh, follow my other channel, Texas Boxing Scene, um, which is uh, all proceeds from that channel. Go to Autism Research and Recovery. So it's near and dear to our heart. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, Texas is still not a country. So let's make Texas country again. Again, I find it weird that the anarchist is proposing a new country and a new state be formed. Just saying. Destroying an empire. You could you could phrase it that way, too. Everybody. Or at least chipping away at an empire. It would still be an empire with, without Texas, but chipping away at it. More and if you live in Delaware, if you live in Virginia, if you live in Washington, you should you should emancipate yourself, too, from the empire. Just balkanize the whole shit. Puerto Rico, Guam. No more. Have a good day, ladies and gentlemen. Peace.